Welcome to St. Martin the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music and a special welcome to those joining us online. The role of Master of the King's Music was created in 1625, somewhat analogous to the role of Poet Laureate, which is the Johnny-come-lately starting in 1668. Uh, there have been a number of distinguished post holders, including Edward Elgar, Henry Wolford Davis, Peter Maxwell Davis. Uh, in 2014, in 2004, it became a 10-year term, so you didn't any longer hold it for life. And in 2014, the first woman was appointed Judith Weir, although the name hasn't changed from Master of the King's Music. They need to find a more inclusive name. I think the North Koreans would suggest supreme leader of the king's music might be a suitable title. It's almost always a composer, hasn't always been, but it doesn't tend to go well when it isn't a composer. And there seems to be an expectation that they will compose music for royal occasions. You may remember Judith Weir uh, composed Like as the Heart for the funeral of the late queen in September. Now, it's our tradition at Great Sacred Music uh, always to begin with a hymn which we sing together, and you can find on the inside of your sheets, Firmly I Believe and Truly, which comes from Cardinal John Henry Newman's The Dream of Gerontius, which was published in 1865 and set by Elgar in 1900 in what's usually regarded as his finest choral work. It was first used as a hymn in the English hymnal in 1906. Gerontius means little old man. None of them here uh, today. Not that I can see, anyway. Uh, and it's a kind of idealized picture, particularly this hymn, of a, a, an old man who makes on his deathbed a complete declaration of the Orthodox Christian faith covering Trinity, Incarnation, Cross, and the Catholic Church. I don't know how you imagine your deathbed, but composing spontaneously not only a new but an Orthodox creed might be beyond most of us, not beyond Gerontius. So we join in that uh, creed as we remain seated. Voices stand and lead us, and we sing firmly, I believe, and truly.
we're going to hear a couple of anthems now from the tradition of Masters of the King's Music, starting with Maurice Green, who became organist <coughs> excuse me, at the Chapel Royal of King George II and Master of the King's Music, and he died in 1755. Thou visitest the earth is a harvest anthem based on Psalm 65 with language of fulfilling vows and receiving plentiful harvests. Uh, it was traditionally, back in Old Testament times, used during the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasted eight days, and in which the people of Israel celebrated the abundance of harvest crops. Uh, the last couple of verses, verses 9 and 11, describe God's bountifulness, and they're the verses that this anthem is based on. It's a picture, it's a wonderful picture, vivid picture, of a cart so laden with crops that some of the harvest is falling off and being left behind on the ground. This uh, piece, Thou Visitest, very familiar to those of you who've attended harvest festivals over the years, uh, is actually an extract from a longer verse anthem, Thou, O God, art praised in Zion. Then we're going to hear a piece written um, by Arnold Bax, Lord, Thou Hast Told Us, composed in 1930 for inclusion in the new enlarged edition of Songs of Praise, which was published the following year, the original having been issued in 1925, edited by Percy Diemer, Martin Shaw and Rafe Vaughan Williams, three of the great um, golden figures <clears throat> of the first half of 20th century uh, church choral music. This isn't really an anthem, it's more of a hymn tune, um, and it's written by possibly the most significant 17th century poet you've never heard of, Thomas Washbourne. Anybody heard of Thomas Washbourne? No, I didn't think so. Um, he was a clergyman, he was a poet, uh, he was an ardent monarchist who was appalled at the execution of Charles I, and he is recalled for his volume Divine Poems, published in 1654. But he's up there, um, up near the top of the Premier League with John Donne and George Herbert, possibly not quite as high because I think most of his poems have been lost, but he's a name to remember. So let's enjoy these two anthems together now.
two more treasures from the treasure trove to enjoy now. First of all, uh, Judith Weir, the current master of the King's Music's setting of George Herbert's poem, Love Bade Me Welcome. Uh, when George Herbert put together, he never expected all his poems to be published, but he put together uh, a collection of his poems. He called it The Temple and he handed it to his friend uh, just before he died. And in that collection, which then went through more printings in the 17th century than almost any other publication of the era, uh, he put this poem the very last. So there's something about this poem that sums up the whole of George Herbert's theology. And what I find most intriguing about it, and no one comments about this because uh, I guess people feel it's inappropriate, but that's never stopped me before. Uh, it's almost like a seduction scene where God is seducing us. Love bade me welcome, but my soul drew back. It's a kind of, oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly. Uh, by the end, uh, I sit and eat. There's a sense that I've come round to God's point of view. I've thought of lots of reasons why I'm too unclean, I'm too, uh, my life is too fragile, I'm, I, I'm not good enough, and all the sorts of reasons, and God dismantles all the different reasons why we can't join God at the banquet. The banquet, the most common uh, image in the New Testament of heaven, and of course, uh, sitting down and eating is exactly what happens uh, in the Eucharist. So, all those things going on in Love Bade Me Welcome. And then uh, a piece you may not know, Light of the World, uh, written by Edward Elgar, who wrote a whole oratorio on the story of Jesus healing the man born blind in John chapter nine, not one of his best known works today. And he took it from words uh, written by Edward Capel Cure. Now, Apel, Edward Capel Cure is, I would guess, pretty much universally unknown today. But in the late 19th century, he was the kind of C.S. Lewis of his day. He was a canon of Windsor uh, Castle, not, I should imagine, a terribly demanding role. And he used any spare time that that might have afforded him uh, to write all kinds of devotional pieces which were very popular in the late Victorian era. So, of course, Elgar coming along just after that period uh, picked up on Edward Capel Cure's work and wrote Light of the World. So let's enjoy these two pieces now.
Well, we're going to sing again now, and we're going to sing for the second time from John Henry Newman's Dream of Gerontius. Uh, this one was pressed into action as a hymn rather earlier in 1868 in the appendix to hymns Ancient and Modern. It's a fascinating hymn for all sorts of reasons. Um, most of all, I guess, because in it, just as the first hymn we sang is a kind of overview of the whole of Christian doctrine, so this is an overview of theologies of the atonement. In verses two uh, and three, we've got a sense of the Christus Victor uh, theory of the atonement where Jesus' death overcomes evil, uh, most associated with early theologians of the church. And then we have in verse four, the higher gift than grace. We have a sense of Irenaeus's understanding uh, that Jesus, if you like, re-inhabits all the aspects of human life and redeems them as he goes along. Uh, and then in verse 5, we have the sense of teaching, much more like Abelard's notion of the atonement, uh, based on the fact that we are so moved by Christ's sacrifice on the cross that we are moved to, uh, to love God in return. So uh, controversial in its time because people thought that a higher gift than grace was a reference to a transubstantiationary notion of the Eucharist in a very Roman Catholic sense, because if you remember, John Henry Newman became a Roman Catholic in 1845. It was the great scandal of its time. Uh, he denied that. He, he, he believed he wasn't talking about uh, the Eucharist when he, was, when he was talking about the higher gift uh, than grace. He was talking about the grace of creation and life being then supplanted by the even higher gift of Jesus's incarnation. So all sorts of politics and theology uh, in the background to this hymn, which we're going to enjoy uh, as we sing it. We remain seated, the voices stand and lead us praise to the holiest in the height. <laughs>
Well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. If you have, there are multiple ways to make a donation, either as you leave in cash or before you leave by text or um, using the, the little QR code on the back of the sheets. Or an alternative is you leave, we've got a card machine you can swipe. So the big excitement of lunchtime today is all the different ways you can donate. So uh, the next Choral Classics coming up this weekend, Come My Way, you can probably guess what that's about. Uh, and then of course next Thursday is Ascension Day, so we'll be taking an Ascension Day theme for our great sacred music. We're going to finish with a piece by Judith Weir. I'll tell you why we're gonna finish with a piece by Judith Weir in a moment. Uh, this is, the, uh, the, this is uh, uh, um, the song sung true, which was first performed on the 4th of December 2013 at St. Lawrence Jewry, just a couple of miles from where we're sitting, performed by the London Lawyers Chorus. Uh, Judith Weir is the current uh, master of the King's music, as I mentioned. Her music is often created from ideas from medieval history, as well as the traditional stories and music of her native Scotland. We're going to finish with this piece because it's her birthday today. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> 